Good morning, everyone. As we turn our attention to God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with joy-filled reverence and sober humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin prepares our hearts to do that. Let us read it together. Consider carefully how you would hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Thank you, Lucy. Well, as I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, um, this week I've been on vacation and we had a wonderful time. It was a very restful time. Um, and this morning I just am delighted to, to not have to preach, as I'm sure you are somewhat delighted not to have to hear me. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blessing for both of us. And this morning I have the joy, the real, the real privilege to welcome Dan Doriani. Dr. Doriani is uh, presently serving as uh, the Vice President of Covenant Theological Seminary, as well as the Professor of Theology. So he wears two different hats. Uh, those of you who have attended Good Shepherd for a while will have seen Dan before, uh, probably from many moons ago. And it's a real joy to have him here this morning. Uh, Dan is, uh, there are three things that I appreciate about Dan. Um, the first is that Dan um, has a delightful, refreshing candor to him. So often in higher education and also in the church, we can be superficial, uh, we, can be, um, we can be cordial, and we're not, there's, there lacks an honesty, it lacks a, just, a, a just saying, you know, just say it. Not, not brutally, not, not uh, insensitively, but I love Dan's candor. I think you'll see that uh, this morning. Another thing I appreciate about Dan is his hope. He is a man of hope, that even as he speaks honestly and candidly, he does so not cynically, but with tremendous hope. And the third thing that I appreciate about Dan is that he's practical. So often, you know, as we professors or in higher education, we can be theoretical, we can talk about all these ideas or whatever, and it's like, well, let's put some feet on it. Where, where, what do we do? How do we live? And Dan is keenly interested uh, in, in putting the truth to work. So um, those are three things, and I think you'll see that this, this morning as he addresses an issue that is incredibly relevant. He's actually working on a, a commentary on, on the book of Romans, and so he said, do you mind if I preach from Romans this morning? I said, absolutely, how about it? So uh, he'll be preaching from Romans 14 this morning. So Lucy has summoned us to, this word, to the word. Let me pray for us and for Dan, and we'll hear from him. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the riches, the unsearchable riches of your word Thank you even more for the one who is your word, the word from the beginning, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would conform us to his likeness all the more this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, please, apart from your spirit, Father, we will close our ears, we will close our eyes, we will gnash our teeth, we will go our own way. Father, rescue us. Spirit of the living God, we want to hang on your every word. Would you humble us? Would you renew us? Would you enable us to hear words of candor, words of hope, words of practicality that we might leave and enter back into the mission field in a way that is full, full of compassion, equipped with wisdom, eager to welcome, eager to live faithfully, sacrificially for our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Dan, please. Yeah, it's good to be here and to see uh, 
see some people I knew from the 90s. It's a very odd thing to say. Um, so it's good to be back, and I know that I'm new to most of you, but I'm glad to share God's word with you. Ron, are you in the booth? There he is over there behind the pillar, my good buddy. Um, and I would like to meet this person, Dan, that you were talking about. He seems like a splendid fellow. Um, so I'm, I'm speaking from Romans chapter 14. You've been prepared for that um, by the liturgy throughout the morning. And uh, yet I do want to tell you a very short story before, um, before I read the word. It's not really a story. It's about a series of emails I've gotten over the years. And the emails uh, have this flavor. I get, oh, you know, maybe uh, three, four, five a year. And they say the same thing. They say, Dan, I'm writing to you. Uh, you know, I had you in a class seven years ago, or uh, I heard you at a conference 10 years ago, and I have a problem that I can't talk to anybody about because it's not safe to raise the subject with the people around me. If I tried to talk to anybody I knew about this, <clears throat> it would get so hot so fast, it would be dangerous for me to talk in my church, in my family, in my workplace, whatever it is. So I just thought maybe I would write to you. Now that's a sad, that's a sad email when somebody says, I have to reach back five or ten years, hundreds of miles away, to have a safe conversation. And yet the sad truth is <clears throat> that as you're sitting here, probably most of you can, can uh, think, you know, I, I understand why, and maybe, maybe a number of you have written an email or made a phone call like that yourself. Who can I talk to? It's not safe. Because I'm afraid I'll be judged. I'm afraid that someone will get angry. And that's an issue uh, that's probably stronger than ever, given the tone of discourse, which we talked about in our worship in our nation right now. And so I, I suggest that we need Romans 14, verses 1 to 12, which is our passage and is it going to be up there on the screen? Is it going to be not, okay, everybody has to use, you have to use old-fashioned Bibles or cell phones, Romans 14, verses 1 to 12. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul for us today. Hear God's word. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. In other words, there was a debate back then, can Christians eat meat or should they be vegetarians? There's still a debate about that in some circles. But it was a hot debate in those days. Let, the one, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment or condemn the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another. So that's their other debate. They had two debates. They had debates about food, and they had debates about the calendar, about days of the week. And this is what Paul says. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. 
For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of you and each of us will give an account of himself to God. Just pray one more time for a moment. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would give us ears to hear all that you're saying to us today. And we pray it in your name. Amen. Well, you know, um, we live in an age of disagreements, and the sad truth is that it seems that we just can't stop. We just keep disagreeing, and it gets more and more contentious. And although uh, the reason is different, Christianity should prepare us for that, because uh, the Christian religion, if I can call it a religion, is different from others. I don't know if you know this or not, but you can be a practicing Jew, and a, a kind of a faithful Jew in many circles, and actually be an atheist or agnostic. Not really believe God exists, because for a Jew, it's the practices that count. And if you're a Hindu, you don't actually have to believe in a God, because the main thing, again, is the practices. And old religions in uh, the day of Jesus and Paul, like um, Epicureanism and Stoicism, which are not common terms today, but they were leading systems, and you don't really have to believe in a God there. And Buddhism, you know, nobody's really sure whether Buddha existed. And if he was, he was a wise man, not a God. Main thing is the practices. Christianity is different. Christianity has a lot of doctrines. And doctrine is important. And the Bible says things like, this saying is trustworthy. And this doctrine is important. We don't compromise over this. And because doctrine, beliefs, are fundamental to our mind and then outward to our body, we hold dear to them, and, and because the Bible is a big, complicated book, and we're, you know, not always picking up on everything, Christians disagree with each other a lot, right? And when I say that, I don't mean about politics. We'll come to that maybe in a minute. I mean they disagree about uh, baptism. Do you, do you apply baptism when a, a baby is born in a covenant family, or, or do you unnecessarily wait 12 or 14 years? That was a joke. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to model how we're not supposed to talk about these things. All right, so uh, baptism is one. And then we disagree about how the church should be governed. Should it be hierarchical? Do we need bishops and popes? Or do we, are we led by elders? And, and are there, is the pastor a super elder more important than the others? Or we disagree about how to govern the church. We disagree about a lot of things. We disagree about video games and how much our kids should watch and, and whether they should be homeschooled or not, and it comes out of our theology. And we disagree about election and about gender roles and about a lot of things. And so Christians disagree, and we should know how to disagree well with each other. And that should help us in this current cultural moment. Now, one of the problems we have as believers is that we tend to read our culture into the Bible. So when I listen to Christians, I hear Christians talk about things that are very popular in our culture, and they assume they're in the Bible. But they're not. They just are used to saying it so much, it's kind of like a biblical idea. So here's an example, authenticity. And here's another one, transparency. Neither one of those words ever appears in the Bible. And yet people will say to me, and maybe they'll say to you, Pastor, uh, you know, some issue in the church, and they'll say, what's going on? And Bruce says, well, I can't tell you. And they'll say, well, you're not being transparent. And Bruce says, 
correct. I'm not being transparent because this is a private matter and this is not a concern to you. And then he could be, you know, on the receiving end of some blunt remarks about authenticity and candor and transparency. And so somebody brings a cultural value, and I'm not against, I'm not arguing for being inauthentic. I'm just saying that our culture vaunts this as some extraordinarily important matter. And we read that in the Bible, and we read, we mentioned it earlier today in the, in the liturgy, we read happiness into the Bible. It's not, you know, God's not against happiness, but it's not a, you don't, the Bible never says you must be happy all the time. And, and we talk about freedom and self-fulfillment and self-expression. And yes, free, uh, freedom's in the Bible, but we talk about it more. And so we read, the, we read our backgrounds into the Bible, and, and so do other people from other cultures. And they'll, they'll read honor and order and respect for ancestors in the Bible. And so Christians can disagree about things. We disagree because the Bible's big and complicated because we're uh, sinful and we assume that we're right. And so in the church at Rome, they disagreed about two topics. They disagreed, can I eat meat? And they disagreed about days, probably about the Sabbath. And is that still the day of the Lord, although we don't know exactly what they disagreed about? And Romans 14 gives us a big picture on it. He says, Romans says, look, it's important to get these things right. But the funny thing is, when he says, you know, you disagree about days, and you disagree about food, he doesn't actually give the right answer until the latter half. I didn't read it. He didn't, he didn't answer whether we can eat meat or not until later. In verse 14, he says, well, you know, you can eat meat. He doesn't even say it explicitly. What he's much more interested in is how we disagree with each other and how we have discussions about these matters. And he says, above all, that we must learn to get along even if we don't agree. That doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that we simply pretend disagreements don't exist. We, we need to get along without going along on everything, but we can get along and go along on some things. And above all, well, if you read Romans 14 in the context of all of Romans, he's told us that we need to love one another and develop our minds and love our enemies and fulfill the law. And he's talked about love multiple times. And so the big picture is as you disagree, make sure you're loving each other. And as you disagree, make sure you're not honing your mind to disagree and win arguments. You're honing your mind to understand better the thought and the teaching of the Lord. And in all this, of course, we follow Jesus. Over in chapter 15, verse 7, this discussion goes on for about 40 verses. Well, not 40, maybe, maybe 25 verses or so. At the very end of the discussion, he says that we should welcome one another as Jesus welcomes us, or receive one another as Jesus receives us. Now, we're all glad that Jesus receives us in our weaknesses, right? Right? And that means weaknesses that have to do with sins or evil practices that we have. But we also, if we are honest with ourselves, we can look back and say, oh, I used to believe this which was false, right? And now I know better. And, and the beautiful thing is that Jesus received us when we had those false ideas, five or 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And if, and if Jesus can receive us when we have bad practices and bad ideas, then we should receive each other. So the big idea, if I just look at the passage as a whole, and you can look at your Bible, not me first. I appreciate the eye contact. You're really good at that. 
you're, you're a good church at eye contact. I want to commend you sincerely, but I want you to look at the Bible for a second, okay? Chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, the big idea is welcome those who are weak, even if they have unnecessary scruples. And then in verses 4 to 9, it kind of pours through <clears throat> verse by verse. In verse uh, 3, especially 4, he says, we have no right to judge each other. These are the steps you want to take when you're in disagreement. The first one is don't judge each other. The second one in verse 5 is that we should study things. If we disagree, the Bible warns us, instructs us, urges us not to do what we're prone to do, which is react. You're wrong. I'm right. Paul says, study the matter. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's the second point. The third one is, whatever you do, food, calendars, politics, masks, you do it unto the Lord. You don't do it unto the person you disagree with. You do it to the Lord. And the fourth one is that Jesus is Lord, verses 7 to 9, and so we shouldn't lord it over each other. Those are the big ideas. And I'm going to invite us to just think about this through the lens of, um, of politics. I'm just going to share with you for a minute the, the last, the most recent of the emails uh, in the I can't talk to anybody category. It has to do with the election. And a woman wrote to me, and said, um, I'm, a, I'm basically a conservative person. I'm pro-life. I'm, you know, I'm basically a conservative person. But I, and I'm not trying to get people mad at me here, just telling you what the letter was. I'm not sure I can vote for Donald Trump. Uh, some of the things he tweets are just so, pr such a problem for me. I, and I just don't know what to do. I'm not sure I can vote for Joe Biden either. And if I told people in my church and my family that I wasn't sure I could vote for Donald Trump, it would be an explosion. So I'm writing to you. And I'll just say that is, that is not where we want to be as, as Christians. We don't want to have an atmosphere in which we think we're going to explode if we have a discussion about a difficult matter. And I also talked to a pastor a couple days ago who said uh, that one of his elders was leaving his church because his church required masks. I'm so angry, he said. So these are real issues, and we need God's direction. Verse 1 says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So you've got to welcome each other. That's the first idea. Now, uh, he does talk about the weak, and, and we don't really know who the weak are. The weak uh, might have been a group called the ascetics, meaning uh, believing that the Christian life is largely a matter of denying yourself certain things. Christians are known to not do things, like today we would say maybe uh, gambling or, or something along that line. Uh, but we really don't know. We do know that the weak were not willing to eat meat, and the best guess is they were afraid the meat had been offered to an idol at some point earlier. And there was no way to tell. People offered meat to idols and that you could buy it less expensively in the marketplace. So some people were drawn to that. But you could never tell if meat had been offered to an idol or not. And so they said, well, if it's been offered to an idol or consecrated to an idol, we can't eat it. Now, Paul says later on elsewhere, look, idols don't exist. To offer meat to an idol is to do nothing. You haven't, they, they think they've offered it to an idol, but they haven't. And so you're allowed to eat meat, even if, it's, even if it's been offered to an idol. But that's not my point. My point is I want you to maintain a healthy relationship 
That's the big idea. The second issue was the Jews had always observed the Sabbath. Now Christians are thinking, well, maybe the day to observe is the Lord's Day. And some people say, well, you know, there's, every day is the Lord's Day, and we shouldn't pay any more attention to one day or another. And so they had a dispute about this, and they, they had contentiousness about the right interpretation of the law of God. This is, they would say, this is about the Bible. This is, the Bible says we should honor the Sabbath day. That's day number seven. And so there was a great deal of, of tension. Now, when Paul calls one group the weak, do you think he's saying they're right or they're wrong? The weak eat only vegetables. Are the weak correct? Probably not. The strong are correct. But he doesn't say that. What he says is, don't judge each other. Your, your friends, he knew in his mind, when they don't eat meat offered to idols, they think they're serving God. They don't want to have any part with idols. And when they say, let's worship on Sunday instead of Saturday, they think they're serving God. And you must respect that instead of becoming angry with them. Now, Paul uses words I want to commend you. I got from somebody else a long time ago. Uh, he said, you know, when I get into disagreement with people, what I say is, I am convinced, not you're wrong. He says, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded, not you're in error. Even to say I'm convinced doesn't mean I'm sure I'm right. It means somehow the evidence has, has washed over me as I've searched the Bible, and I'm I'm persuaded. It's, this happened to me. I don't stake out this position because I know I'm right. I take this position because I have been convinced. What they mean is convinced by God and his word. But maybe you haven't been convinced yet. Maybe you can't say, I have been convinced. And that is okay, too, because what we're supposed to do is receive one another. And the word is not tolerate each other. The word is receive one another. Receive one another as Christ received you with open arms, Flaws and all. Errors and all. Again, to think of politics, I, I remember being in conversations with people many times over the years who were astonished to find that the new, this new person who joined their church was a Democrat. Can you believe it? And I feel like, yeah, I can actually believe it because people have different views about politics. And it goes the other way too. Politics are debatable. And Paul tells us how to handle debatable matters. And the first thing he says, look carefully at verse 3. The first thing he says is, as you disagree about these matters, make sure, this is very, spe very specific, let the one who eats not despise the one who abstains, and let the one who abstains not pass judgment or condemn the one who eats. So what he's saying is this. The one who eats, the one who says, look, I know I can eat hamburgers, um, who knows where it came from? I can eat hamburgers. You grill, you know, grill them up, put some cheese on. It's great. And those, this is the way people talk. Those idiots who think you can't eat meat—that's despising somebody else. Those fools with all their petty regulations. But those who say, "Do you know that so and so is eating hamburger at their house, and it might have been offered to an idol?" And and what they do is condemn. The ones with lots of rules condemn. That's exactly what Paul says. Condemn those who don't follow their rules. And the ones who don't have rules sneer at or condescend or despise. And we are not allowed to condemn, nor we are allowed to despise those with whom we disagree. 
Okay, so what are we supposed to do? Well, verse 4 tells us what we're supposed to do is remember that God is a judge and we're not. Now, he uses an analogy that, um, that I, I hope uh, you see the value of. He says, who are you to, to uh, pass judgment on the servant and another? It is before his master that he stands or falls. So what he's doing is he's asking us a question. We could put it this way. Who does your annual evaluation? Well, I mean, the one who does your annual evaluation is your boss. Not, if I'm a truck driver, I expect to be evaluated by the supervisor of truck drivers, not by a kindergarten teacher or an engineer. And if I'm a kindergarten teacher, I expect to be assessed by the principal of the school, not by a truck driver. I answer to my boss. Everybody agrees with that, right? Would anybody disagree with that? Okay, so now the question is, who's the boss? And the answer is, not you. Who's the judge? Not you. Jesus is judge. Jesus is Lord. He will judge us. We do not judge one another. God justifies who are we to condemn. To put it a different way, one wonderful theologian named John Stott said, you know, this is the way God treats us. He does not condemn us for no reason. And we're always safe when we treat each other as God treats us, aren't we? If we were Baptists, we would say amen now. It's always good to treat each other as God treats us, and God does not condemn. And so, Christians who are prone to disagree, and I love to put lists that vary from time to time, so like, you know, 40 years ago, the question was, do you play cards or do you go to movies? And everybody kind of laughs at that. Then, then it was facial hair, and you know, like 15 years ago, it was tattoos, and everybody gets tattoos, nobody talks about that anymore. Facial hair, music styles. Now, what do we disagree about? We disagree about masks and politics, and how much should your children watch video games? And if my child comes to your house, and your children are playing video games that I don't approve of, how are we gonna handle that? Those people are so irresponsible with their video games. And do you know those people down the street who have drones? Don't you know how bad and dangerous drones are? And we, we're always disagreeing about something, about, about how to handle the coronavirus. And just, let me just let the Lord judge. Now somebody may say, oh, now you're, you're, uh, you're advocating laziness, mental laziness, anything goes. And that is not what Paul says. Look at verses 5 and 6. In verses 5 and 6, he says, I'm just going to read it to you again. He says, look, one day esteems one day is better than another. Another esteems every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's the crucial moment. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who, observe, who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. He gives thanks to God. Two points. Verse 5. Be fully convinced in your own mind. So if you're not sure about tattoos or masks or video games or politics, you should study the matter out and be convinced in your mind. Now when it says studied out, it does not mean go to your favorite um, you know, news outlet. It means go to the Bible. Go to sound teaching. And as you receive biblical teaching and read the Bible and meditate on it, Psalm 4 says, as you, you, know, as you, as you lie on your bed and meditate, 
as you meditate on it, you will slowly come to conviction. You should come to your conviction. It doesn't mean you have to convince the other person right now. You come to your conviction first. And then everybody should do this before the Lord, study the matter, study the matter, and then offer your conclusions to God. Now, um, be fully convinced in your own mind means you were not allowed to be lazy. It means we're not allowed to say, well, my friend, my pastor, I read this article the other day, and that settles the matter. It means you actually need to work at it. If it's an important matter, not the first opinion that pops in your head, but become fully convinced. Now, one of the great temptations is to, is to yield to experts, and that's because experts often are really experts. But if you look at, at a dispute about things like, let's say, video games um, or politics, or masks, uh, the, the experts disagree, don't they? And that's one of the sad things about our current moment with coronavirus is like there's an authoritative proclamation on Tuesday and then there's another authoritative proclamation on the next Tuesday and it contradicts the one on the previous Tuesday. And so we're, we're very frustrated and we're tempted just to throw up our hands and say, I give up. And, and Paul says, no, we don't have the right to give up we should not luxuriate in indecision, as one person said it. We need to be fully convinced in our own mind. If we have a debate about days, we should ask, okay, what, is, what do we know the Bible teaches about days? Well, here's one thing we know, is that we should set aside one day for worship and rest and celebration of God's goodness. We know that. And then what else do we know? Well, we know that every day is, is the day of the Lord. We know that. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's from the Bible. So those are a couple things we can be sure of. And then the Bible also says make the most of, of the opportunity because the days are evil, so you should always be ready to act. And we slowly accumulate things that we know. And they guide us when we don't know. And then if we know what we do know and we know what we don't know, we may be a little bit more tender with people who don't know everything. Because we don't know everything either. We know as much as we can. Verses 7 and 9 say we live to the Lord. We don't live for strife, for disagreement, for being right, for proving our point. We live for the Lord. We should refer every act to God. And if that's the case, why, Paul asks in verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Your job isn't to live before your brother or your sister. Your job is to live before the Lord. And being angry and judging other people is not the path to love the Lord. Now, I want to make it very clear, the Bible says, no doubt about it, there are times to make judgments. And one of the, I think when Jesus spoke, he often had a subtle sense of humor that we don't get because it was just different. You know, in one place, Jesus says, uh, judge not lest you be judged. And then a couple of verses later, he said, now beware of false prophets. By which he means... Don't judge for no reasons. But by the way, if you do see a false prophet, and you can tell by their lack of fruit and falsely calling the name of the Lord, beware. In other words, you need to make a judgment. Don't make judgments unless you need to make a judgment. That's what Jesus says. Another place Jesus says, uh, do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. So don't judge willy-nilly, whatever that word means. Don't judge for no reason. But sometimes you have to make a judgment. The question is, how am I going about making that judgment? 
All foods are clean, Paul says later on, verse 14. But he, he waited until so much later because it's so much important, much more important that we love the person near us than that we be right about everything. So let me just label a little bit more in our culture. Why do we need this? Uh, I find that I'm influenced by the way people talk around me. And I will tell you that I, I have not watched the news on TV in any form for five months because I felt it was bad for my soul. And I listen to a, I, I get a one-page summary of the news every morning. It's about all I can take. And I sometimes, about two or three times a week, I listen to a two-minute summary of the news. Uh, now, I'm not advocating that you do the same thing. I'm just saying I found that the tone was so angry and mocking and I'm and conspiratorial and I'm right and you're wrong and I'm scoring points that I found myself against my own will being drawn into that way of thinking and even talking. I hated it, but I found that it was influencing me. So what does the Bible want us to do? I'm going to just offer you a couple thoughts in closing. Number one, recognize that people are prone to disagree. We are going to disagree with each other. That's a fact. The question is, how will we handle it? And the answer, in a nutshell, is if it's a big, important matter, a matter of orthodoxy, crucial decisions for life, we take our stand. And if it's a lesser matter, we let it go. Second thing we know is that we're prone to judge each other and to be sure of ourselves. Instead, it's much better, this is point three, to patiently reach conclusions. And as we do so, we realize how hard it is. If you patiently reach a conclusion, you're usually doing that by looking at the other side of the question. As you look at the other side of the question, you realize, mm, they, maybe they have a point there. They might be right. I think they're wrong, but they might be right. And above all, above all, we remember how the Lord treats us. The Lord could have condemned every last one of us for every misdeed, for every bad habit, for every unkind word, for every false idea, even dangerously false ideas that we've had. Sometimes we look back in our life and we say, I used to believe this. You know what? When you believe that, the Lord loved you and received you and forgave you and didn't condemn you. He taught you patiently. The Lord is gracious to us. The Lord is patient with us. Let's be patient and gracious and forgiving as the Lord has forgiven all of us. May it be so. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this part of your word, a part that I certainly admit that I need and maybe... Maybe you put it in your word. I'm, I'm pretty sure you put it in your word because we all need it. And so, Lord, I pray that we would um, keep our eye on you in your, your grace and your mercy, your truth, but also your patience. And that we would lay aside those tendencies we have that are prone to afflict people, and maybe especially in our day, to judge and condemn and to be right and to put people down and I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for the peace this church has had in, in recent days. I pray that you would keep it. Lord, uh, knowing the world, I know there are probably people in this church, certainly people in this church who have strife in their families. I pray that they might know how to 
follow your ways as they disagree in their family or with friends or at work. So Lord, again, we thank you for receiving us graciously and warmly and, and patiently taking us forward. And we pray that we would walk in your ways and feel your blessing as we do so. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.